The Bible is full of commands. In fact, we're going to see that Colossians is full of commands. Okay, so law, and God's law in particular, has its place to show us what's right and wrong. But, but you'll notice that Paul wasn't particularly talking about God's law there. He was particularly talking about these kind of human extra stuff that we come up with. These disciplines. Um, and particularly they can be very anti-physical uh, things. If you, if you restrain yourself from this, or if you eat lots of this, or don't touch that, or you, you see this thing as unclean and bad, then, then you'll be kept pure from everything. And it's all very external focused, whereas we know that the Bible pushes us even with God's commands, it pushes us in to go, actually, there's a deeper issue going on here. Okay? So that's the bad method. If we just tell ourselves, well, don't do this, don't do that, do a load of discipline stuff, then we're going to change and be better people, be the better you. But Paul says, Sunday school answer? <laughs> Jesus is the answer. Right? Actually, Christ is the, the new method for change. In Christ is everything we need to move forward. And some of us kind of knew that Christ would be the answer (laughs) uh, to the new method. And I wonder actually if you feel a little bit dissatisfied with that. Christ is the answer to change, right? I kind of guess that would be the answer, but what does that mean? In fact, Tim and I were chatting about this a couple of weeks ago, going, I know I'm supposed to change, I know I'm supposed to be kind of Christ and grace to change, but how does Christ actually change me? What, What actually happens? How does all the fullness of God in Christ and his lordship and power and grace, how does that actually change me? What do I do? How do we actively root ourselves in Christ and be built up in him and that kind of thing? We'd be pleased to know Paul tells us. He doesn't just say, well, you need Christ. And they're like, what is it? He actually goes on to show us what it means to root ourselves in Christ, to not only start with him, but continue living with him. So that's what we're going to look at now. And like I said, over the next few weeks, especially, we're going to be fleshing this out more and more. How does this actually work? Now, I want, I want you to picture our lives like a house, okay? Downstairs represents life where we do what we want, where the sensual indulgence animal wins, Okay? And then there's upstairs, and upstairs is completely different. Upstairs is where Christ rules, where there is real power for change in our lives. And Paul's, we're going to read a bit in, in chapter 3 where Paul uses this above and below language, heaven and earthliness way of life, upstairs, downstairs. And Paul teaches us that the new method for moving forward is increasingly living with our hearts and our minds upstairs, which will help us get rid of our downstairs living for ourselves life. Okay, so, right, let's go with it. Okay. So the first thing we're going to look at is in Colossians 3, where Paul says, live upstairs. This is your new method, live upstairs. Let's have a look at Colossians 3, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ, see the upwards language, set your hearts on things, here it is again, above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Stop there. 
So Paul seems to be talking a lot about a place where we are as Christians, where Christ is. So let's think about this. Where is Christ in these verses? Well, he's upstairs, isn't he? Um, you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is. He is above. And what is, what is he doing there? He's seated at the right hand of God. So upstairs in Paul, what Paul's teaching us is the heavenly throne room. And Christ is on the throne, ruling at the right hand of the Father. That's where Christ is, upstairs. Where are we in these verses? Paul seems to think that we're there. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. And then verse 3, for you dying, your life is now hidden with Christ. You're there. You have been raised with him. Christ is upstairs in heaven, and our lives are there too. Which seems kind of weird, because I thought I'd go to heaven when I die. But Paul talks as if we're already there. I'm like, I'm kind of here. (laughs) And this is why being told, oh, we need Christ to move forward, can sound a little bit useless as a method. Because talk of Christ in heaven seems to have nothing to do with me on earth. Oh, I need Christ. Well, he's in heaven and I'm down here. So what kind of use is that? But Paul says that key to change is realizing the reality of our spiritual presence upstairs with Christ. He says you're there. If you're trusting in Jesus for your forgiveness, to give you a relationship with God, Paul says there's a real sense in which you're present with him in heaven. It's kind of a mystery, but it's real. Now, our problem is that we think that downstairs is all there is. Kind of earthly life, what's going on around us. And so we try and find earthly downstairs methods for change. And remember, that was the problem that you just saw in in chapter 2. They were merely human commands, rules of the world. It was downstairs stuff. So Paul says, no, you need upstairs reality to deal with downstairs problems. You need heavenly reality to fill your hearts and your minds if you're going to fight your kind of earthly way of living, which is naturally against God. See, earthly downstairs problems don't need more earthly solutions. They're part of the broken world. It's like, um, I know if you want to quit smoking, asking a tobacco executive to help you quit smoking. He's not going to be the best person to help you, okay? And if you're wanting to fight earthly problems, your way of living like every other human against God, then trying to look for kind of earthly downstairs methods, they're they're part of the problem. They're not going to help you. You need something different. Something from a different power, a different level, a different regime. You need something from heaven where Christ rules. Okay, we need to press in a bit further about how this all works. How does that upstairs reality actually connect with us and help us? Well, think about the reality of heaven. Up there, it says, is a, is a world of Christ's presence. It is, verse 1, where Christ is. That's what heaven is like. It's a world of Christ's rule as king, seated at the right hand of God. It's a world where we are, see that in verse 3, hidden with Christ and God. That is a beautiful image. It's not like hide and seek hidden. It's safe, protected, nurtured not vulnerable. We feel very vulnerable down here. But Paul says there's a real sense in which you are safe up there. Now, that reality of Christ's presence and his rule and his way and we're with him, 
If that is real, then that can begin to change us. So here's our method for change. Here's how we continue our lives in Christ, rooted in him, chapter 2 stuff you just seen. There are two commands that really make the connection with us. Did you spot them? Verse 1, set your hearts on things above. And secondly, verse 2, set your minds on things above. There's the, that's what we do. If you're looking for something practical, here's, here it is. Set your hearts, set your minds on what is above. Where it says set your hearts, it's more literally kind of seek. Seek what is above. So we're to actively seek Christ's rule. We pursue Christ's rule and his gracious power to help change us. We actively say in our lives every single day, yes to the upstairs rule of Christ in our lives. We are upstairs in heaven, but we've got to actively seek knowing that, believing that in our hearts. Which means we need to stop seeking the values and shaping and inspiration and power from the downstairs world around us and pursue Christ to fill our minds instead. See, if I fill my minds with the values of this world, I'm going to live like this world. It's kind of obvious. If I seek with my heart what everyone else around me down here seeks, I'm not going to move forward. I'm just going to be the same as I've always been. If all I think about is my downstairs earthly life, I'm just going to live more of my downstairs earthly life living for myself. But if, in a very practical way, I fill my mind with the ways of Christ on the throne, I'll begin to live with Christ actually on the throne of my life. Does that make sense? If I seek after in my heart the better reality of Jesus the Lord, I'll begin to live that way. Let's think even more practically. What's that going to mean? Well, it's going to mean filling my mind with this book, filling my mind with Bible, filling my heart with truth about Christ, not only maybe in the morning when I read the Bible, but throughout the day, and maybe particularly in those moments of temptation where we really want to sin, fill my mind, fill my heart with Christ. See how different this is to mindfulness. You know, mindfulness is a thing. It's a very cool thing at the moment. And they do it in primary schools and stuff uh, where the whole class and everyone, uh, mindfulness is a thing where you, you kind of, uh, you sit and it's quiet and you think and you focus on yourself. Uh, this is from the mindfulness website. Um, an important part of mindfulness is reconnecting with our bodies and the sensations they experience. This means waking up to the sight, sound, smells and tastes of the present moment. That might be something as simple as the feel of a banister as we walk upstairs. Obviously you don't live in a London flat. <laughs> Um, another important part of mindfulness is an awareness of our thoughts and feelings as they happen moment to moment. It's about allowing ourselves to see the present more clearly, present moment clearly. When we do that, it can positively change the way we see ourselves and our lives. That's a, that's a method, right? It's a method for change. Mindfulness is about thinking as much as possible about downstairs earthly life, thinking about me, my feelings, me. Now, I'm not completely dissing it because that kind of quiet focus um, can be really, really helpful. But does it have the power to restrain sensual indulgence? Filling, 
If I fill my mind with myself, I fill my mind with myself. That's my main problem. (laughs) It will make me more like myself if I think a lot about myself. What Paul pushes us towards is a completely, a radically different method to be mindful about heavenly reality. That I'm present with Christ. It's about to take the words of the mindfulness stuff, allowing ourselves to see Christ clearly and who we are in him. We need to practice, if you like, Christ mindfulness. You know, take the time, instead of thinking about the feeling of a banister, increase your awareness of Jesus. That you're with him. That he died to save you. That he's the Lord on the throne. That would be a great thing to sit and meditate on. Allowing ourselves to see the present reality of Christ in heaven more clearly. And if we, the more we fill our minds and our hearts with him, how he wants us to live, then that reality is going to start affecting our hearts and changing us. Now, this isn't about escaping the world. This isn't like Christians who kind of don't care about the world. That's not the point of the upstairs-downstairs thing. It's about having our lives now transformed by your very real heavenly ex- existence in Jesus. So I want you to begin thinking, especially we're going to the next few weeks, think practically. How can you seek with your heart and mind to live out your upstairs life with Christ? How can you set your mind and heart more fully on that, which is yours in Jesus? Okay, that's how Paul puts things positively, as it were. With his, okay, this is how we seek change. Positively, set your mind, fill your hearts, all that jazz. That's the first thing. Um, then he says, kill downstairs. Ready for it. Verse 5. What do we do with our sin then? Put to death, therefore... Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. He focuses on our our mouths, anger, Rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie, and on and on he goes. Notice the big therefore in verse 5. This is always important if there's a therefore. He's saying, because of verses 1 to 4, because of your new life upstairs where Christ rules with power, where you're hidden in him, because you're now filling your minds with that new reality, therefore, earthly way of living has got to stop. Downstairs living is old. It, it doesn't, doesn't go. Now it talks here about our earthly nature, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. This earthly nature, this is our downstairs way of living. We think downstairs ways. We desire downstairs ways. That is, we, we still live for ourselves. That is our old way. But it's still here. Christ reigns. But we, our earthly selves, live as if Christ doesn't reign. And and he gives a kind of sample list of of that downstairs way of living, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, 
evil desires, greed, which is idolatry, which is a really ugly list. That's us. Yeah, be honest. If we live-streamed our thoughts and feelings, it would be this. And, and we know that our earth is full of these things because it's full of people like me and you who have an earthly nature. Nature. Okay, but if we put our hope in Jesus and we have a relationship with God, we're now raised upstairs, what does that mean for that earthly, sinful, downstairs life? Verse 7, you used to walk in those ways, in the life you once lived. Paul says, that's not you anymore. You're a different person. The old way doesn't fit with your new heavenly reality. Okay, so what's our new method? What's our new method for change? That's what we're about tonight. Positively, he said, seek what's above, live upstairs. Negatively, he says, try not to sin anymore. Strip back the sinning a little bit. It's not what he says. Verse 5, put it to death. Put to death. I want us to think about this. Don't brush over that. Do you remember the language um, just up at the top of the page of restraining sensual indulgence. That's our problem. Imagine your earthly nature as a dog. All right? Here's one of our biggest problems. We like the dog. We like the dog. Our old way of living and desiring, these, these strong desires to do wrong and live against God and live for ourselves, it's like a little dog to us. It's got a little growl, a little bit feisty, but it's a dog, and we like dogs. And so our sinful nature to us, our downstairs living, is this little dog, and this little dog is kind of annoying, and it's like, and you have to slap it down and get down off the sofa, naughty dog. Stop sinning. Sin is the naughty dog that jumps on the sofa and poos on your carpet. Give it a little smack down, send it to his basket. That is not sin. Your downstairs earthly nature is a snarling, spitting, fierce canine gnashing its teeth at you, which will fling itself at you with rabid ferocity and eat you. If you have a child and that dog comes into your house, you don't give it a smack on the head. I have two daughters. You kill the dog. You kill the dog, but it's a dog. It's going to eat you. You kill the rabid dog. That is your sin. It says that because of these things, verse 6, the wrath of God is coming. That's how serious our sin is. Anger is not a little puppy that poos on the carpet as an annoying little thing. It's a beast that will eat you alive. Filthy language. Did you expect that to be there? Slagging people off is not a bit of a bad habit, being bad mouth. It's a killer. And if we don't see it for what it is, our sexual immorality, our desires, our loves, lusts, they will drag us away from Christ. It needs killing, not sending to its basket. So can I ask you, are you treating your sin like a naughty puppy? Or do you see that it's a carnivorous wolf that Jesus came to deal with by dying on the cross for you and rising again? 
if we want to move forward in Christ-likeness, we have got to see the glorious new reality of who we are in Jesus, that it's so much better and more beautiful to live his way of love and kindness and sacrifice and purity. And you've got to see the evil beast that is your sin, which now, by the power of Christ, in his grace, you need to kill. Verse 8, rid yourselves of it. Don't settle for any sin. Stop settling for sin. By grace. There's an old dead Christian guy called John Owen. And he said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. And I've personally found that a very helpful phrase that's sometimes desire for sin, and you, you know this, is so visceral and powerful It is like this animal. And that little phrase, be killing sin or be killing you, has really helped me see sin for what it is and hate it and call out for mercy. Lord, help me change. But I don't have the strength to kill my sin. (laughs) You know, maybe you're hearing me say this and you're like, but it's just too powerful. You've forgotten verses 1 to 4 already. (laughs) The fight flows from the grace of heaven. It flows from who you are in Christ. It flows from his power. It flows from being raised with him. This is grace first, power in Christ first, that empowers you to kill the dog. So I want to, be, I want to encourage you, because Paul wouldn't, um, Paul wouldn't say this if it wasn't possible. We read this and go, Paul, I mean, come on, man. <laughs> you anything like me? He wouldn't say this if it wasn't possible. In Christ, listen to this, your sexual immorality can be restrained. Actually, restrained isn't strong enough a word, is it? Your sexual immorality can be killed. Your idolatrous love of this world can be got rid of. Your short temper can be turned into patience. Upstairs life can put to death downstairs sin. Don't you believe that it's not possible to change? So I wonder if the task of moving forward in Christ is deeper and more serious than you thought. Maybe... Um, the whole January thing has got to you. You know, like everything's got annuary at the end of it. Some of you are probably doing veganuary and things like that. Okay? So you stick annuary on the end of something and it becomes powerful to change you and make you a better you. What would Christ-likeness annuary <laughs> look like? I think it would look like the stuff you, look, you saw in your Bible study. Cut some stuff out. A few new disciplines. A few new routines. Hey presto, new you. Won't work. Our method needs to be much more radical and much more Christ-empowered. You don't need new habits. You don't just need some better routines and disciplines. By the way, routines and disciplines are really helpful and can be helpful in fighting sin, but it ain't going to change your heart. What we need is to attack sin with all the power of heaven itself which means getting to our hearts. Why do I think the way I think? Why do I feel the way I feel? Why do I want to sin? How can I want Christ's way more? If you want to think more about that, come to the next three weeks of Globe Focus, because that's what we're going to be doing. Part two, how to pursue Christ-likeness. So I want to encourage you, being rooted in Christ, mind, heart, set on him, drawing on that power to kill sin, it works. 
It's slow. It's messy. It's hard. It's a battle. The dog's going to bite you, but Christ wins. Because he rose from the dead and he ascended to heaven. He's on the throne. So let me pray, and then you can turn into your groups and spend some more time praying this in and praying for each other. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for all your grace to us. We, we, we need to start by saying sorry to you for our sin. Lord, maybe tonight we're really convicted that we are not what we should be. Lord, when I look at my heart, I see so much of this animal that desires to do wrong. And I feel so powerless to change myself. And Lord, we try all this stuff and we tell ourselves that this is the last time and it's hardly ever the last time. And we're so sorry and we're so helpless. And so we praise you, Lord Jesus Christ, that in you is fullness and in you we have fullness. And I pray that we would see you more fully for what you are. Forgive us, Jesus, you're really small little Jesus to us with a little bit of power Oh, help us to see on the throne of heaven, Jesus, seated, reigning, ruling with power for us. Help us to see where we are with him in heaven. Lord Jesus, thank you that that is our reality if we're trusting in Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would help us, please, together to put to death the dog, to kill the sin that would drag us away from you. And thank you that you don't leave, it, leave, it, leave us to it. You put your very spirit in us, a new power, a new heart to change us. So we pray, please, for transformation, that we live more and more as citizens of heaven above. Amen.